I'm Kyle Rode, and this is the Rebel HR Podcast. Rebel HR is a podcast for HR professionals who are ready to make some disruption in the world of work. Follow us online on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, RebelHumanResources.com, or follow me on Twitter at Rebel HR Guy. All right, Rebel HR listeners, I'm extremely excited for our guest today, Doug Claff. Doug has an impressive resume. He is the founder of Intergage, making the world a better place to work together now more than ever. Doug, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm extremely excited about today's show. I'm a huge data guy, and Doug actually has data related to the craziness of 2020. So, Doug, why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your organization and what your organization does? Uh, Sure thing. So, just a little bit about myself and why I'm a data guy also. So, my background was not HR. It was aerospace engineering. Started out as a rocket scientist. And clearly, data is really important in rocket science. But my passion and my interest were more how people work together and bringing a science and data-based approach to the, the challenge of how people work together. So I co-founded Energage with the purpose of making the world a better place together now 14 years ago uh, and bringing that background of rocket science and, and data to a problem which historically had been considered a much more squishy, soft problem. So today, Energage is a purpose-driven company. We help organizations turn employee feedback into business intelligence, and also into credible employer recognition through our top workplaces programs all across the nation. Uh, just to give you a sense of the amount of data we've we've accumulated, we've surveyed more than 66,000 organizations, 22 million surveys, and so well over half a billion points of data on what it's like to work in a good workplace, a great workplace, and a, uh, and a lousy one. And so we take all that data and we're able to really provide organizations with benchmarking, with analytics and guidance to help them understand and improve their work. And then we're also able to uh, provide recognition for what's great about uh, these workplaces. Now, I think what uh, may have piqued your interest was in June, we released some research findings, specifically what's happened to employee engagement through the pandemic. What surprised a lot of people is that employee engagement went up. And so I just want to pause for a second and check in and see if that uh, was a surprise to you as it was to me. Um, but uh, certainly right when first things started, I kind of expected all the uncertainty and doubt to cause a, a dip in, in uh, engagement. Yeah, that's exactly what prompted this discussion. I, I was fascinated to hear a little bit about the research and in my very small sample size in my company, we saw the same thing. We an, we anticipated that employees would be um, upset or nervous or uh, scared. And what we saw was people were more engaged than ever. Collaboration went significantly up at our company. Our, our communication actually improved because we were forced to use all these virtual tools and you know, so all the things that were on my HR list, things like improve communication, you know, drive engagement, um, you know, increase collaboration amongst departments, it all happened through no strategy of my own. It just it had to happen to keep the business moving forward. And then, uh, yeah, so we saw that initially, 
uh, and now I, I think that uh, it's it's maybe normalized a little bit or leveled off. Is is that what your research is showing you? Well, so it's interesting that you mentioned about employees being clued in or about communications, because that was the number one uh, driver of culture and engagement in terms of improvement during the pandemic. And so we saw, on average, employees being about 20% more positive on feeling clued in, feeling like they're being well-informed about what's going on in the business. And that uh, that really carried from about April through July pretty steadily. Now, along with the other drivers of engagement, in August and September, we saw the numbers go back more to their traditional levels about even with last year or maybe even down just a hair, uh, but a pretty marked decline from that April to July timeframe. So so would say that they had, um, I hate to say go back to normal given that nothing is normal right now, or new normal, but but we certainly saw them uh, dropping back down to more historic levels and, and maybe just a little bit lower. Yeah, I think... As I've been talking to people and on the podcast and and just other HR professionals in general, I think that is that's the consensus amongst uh, my peers that uh, they things were really really good, kind of shockingly good, and now we're kind of back to the same old same old as it relates to morale and and engagement productivity all those things. Yeah, I think that is there's there's a lot of truth in that the the. A lot of the discussion in August and a lot of the fear, uncertainty, and doubt was around uh, return to school for an awful lot of employees who had uh, made it through the the uh, remote learning back in the spring, but we're now looking at uh, really huge levels of uncertainty around whether school would be in, whether it would be hybrid, whether it would be remote only, what the implications were for childcare. Uh, what the implications were for their own working environments. And we saw that hit right around mid-August, this, this uh, the, the really fear, uncertainty, and doubt around the return to school. And then um, in September, we're seeing uh, just a slight uptick in terms of overall engagement levels. But now uh, many employees are dealing with the return to school and the realities of, of uh, you know, often trying to be a, a, a parent, a, you know, a teacher's assistant uh, and an employee at the same time. Yeah, myself included. I have three three kids, two in school, one supposed to be in preschool, but currently home preschooling, if that's a thing. And my spouse, who is a saint, who is working from home with her organization, uh, and me back in the office. You know, so I think the stress levels of my employees, that are especially employees that have kids, have certainly spiked uh, this fall. Uh, so I'm curious, I, I, I'd like to maybe take a little bit of a step back and, and talk a little bit about engagement in general. I think engagement is one of those buzzwords that maybe has lost a little bit of meaning because people use it in almost every aspect of employee behavior. So as you look at engagement and as you actually work to measure engagement, what do you look at? What criteria do you consider to be an engagement driver and how do you how do you start to analyze that? Great question. And I would agree with you that the term engagement went through a bit of a hype curve where it got very popular. And then all of a sudden, we bumped into companies who were selling lunches to to companies and saying, well, that's engagement, clearly, is lunch. And uh, 
and it's not the way that we think about it. So we think about engagement as the intersection of three things. So it's employees who are motivated to give their best. Um, they want to stay at the company um, and they want to recruit their friends to work there. And so those three elements, motivation, uh, recruitment and referral are kind of big three for engagement. Uh, now, those are all outcomes in that if you try to tell somebody to be motivated, probably not going to work very well. And so we look at drivers of culture that drive uh, culture and engagement. And we've we've really broken those down into four major areas. One is around alignment or people aligned on values and direction where you're headed. Uh, the second one is around connection. So do you feel like a, a sense of emotional connection to the company? Do you feel appreciated? Do you feel like the work is meaningful? Do you feel like um, that you're appreciated in the, in the work that you do? The third one is around coaching. So do managers take a coaching role? Do they uh, help you to learn and grow? Do they help uh, to remove obstacles? And then the fourth one is around performing. So do do you and the company uh, get stuff done? Do you innovate? Do you um, do you uh, accomplish the, the the mission and purpose of the company? So those are the big four. It's you can just it's align, connect, coach, and perform. So we measure those. We measure employees' perception of those four different areas. We measure engagement, and uh, that's those half a billion data points are um, looking at those drivers of culture, drivers of engagement, and then engagement itself. And so when you pull that apart and you take a look at what's happened during the pandemic, the the area that has been uh, has seen the strongest um, uptick is really that retention piece, the intent to stay. So uh, we're seeing people less likely to be looking for other jobs, um, we saw a little blip in August for that, but really it's been consistent through April all the way through September. Um, people want to stick around. Um, when we look at the other two components of engagement, so uh, motivation was up uh, about 10% uh, from April through July, back down to more traditional levels in August and September. Um, and then the re re um, referral, similar story. So, uh, so the one that's really holding is uh, is retention, and so, um, so we are seeing people um, sticking around and, and not really looking uh, to move in these really uncertain times. That's fascinating, and I think it's it's an interesting thought exercise. Is that because companies are doing a good job, or is that because of the macro factors and the unemployment numbers? So it's going to be both, right? There, there's, there's not uh, one of the challenges in people sciences. You don't get easy answers that are true for everybody. Um, and so the external environment is going to have an impact, and then the uh, internal environment is as well. Um, our survey is of aspiring and top workplaces and top workplaces. So we're generally measuring the better workplaces. Um, so my personal guess is that it's more of the you know wanting to stick around um and that uh, not only is the grass not greener right now it's, it's maybe a little browner than it would have been a year ago do you anticipate that this trend will continue and that people are than they were pre-pandemic because they were retained and not laid off or or they're in the right industry do you have any insights there so it depends on the industry where people can be very productive working from home, 
we're starting to see more aggressive recruiting uh, from some of the bigger players. So some of the very big players, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Twitters are now recruiting nationally and uh, recruiting in our home city of Philadelphia, for example, when they don't even have an office there. And so we haven't started to see the numbers move dramatically from that. But what I expect we'll start to see is a more mobile job market for people who can work out of their home. Um, external force will put pressure on retention for, uh, you know, for all of our HR folks out in the audience. Now, HR is always both trying to, to keep the, the good players, but also trying to recruit good ones from others. And so uh, the good news from that is that the pool that you can play in as a recruiter um, when you're trying to recruit in talent doesn't have to necessarily be as geographically bound as, as it might have been before. And so you can recruit from a, a much broader market. What we're seeing is that the, the big trend, and this has been maybe over a number of years, but it's been exacerbated now in the pandemic, is that managing your employer brand is becoming more and more important for smaller businesses um, as that recruiting market starts to go from being you know local to to national to to global i agree a hundred percent a case study for you so my company very small compared to uh, facebook or target or you know some of these massive employers that are are doing a lot of of hiring right now so We've had to be very intentional about our, our social media strategy. Um, we've had to digitize a lot of our recruiting processes so that we can actually capture uh, individuals that find out about our jobs online. And, you know, it's we're trying to be cool, <laughs> which is not something my company ever had in mind, uh, you know, five to ten years ago. It was, you know, hey, you know, we, we do good work and you should like to work here. And now it's shifting to, oh, we need to make a, we need to have a burning platform for somebody to want to work here, and then we need to make sure it's a great place to work so they stick around. It's it's super hard, and and I'd say that that the social media environment makes it even harder. And so I know I don't know if you've had a chance to see the social dilemma, big Netflix special, just highlighting how some of these big companies have used social psychologists to really manipulate people's perspective, and Within our business, within HR and recruiting and employer branding, we've seen some of the same kinds of forces happen in uh, that we've seen in the broader social uh, area. We've seen trolling. Uh, we've seen companies, you know, manipulating their 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 brand through, uh, you know, trying to get postings um, that are favorable to them, and it really leaves the employee or prospective employee just kind of not sure where uh, where there's credible information out there to, to learn about a place to work. And it's a pretty big investment to take a job to learn what it's like to work in a place and then find out that it's, it's, it's not for you. And so um, finding tools, finding ways to credibly, authentically understand what it's like to work at a place before you go there uh, has just become really, really valuable. Um, and that's an area that we've focused a lot of effort in over the last few years. No, I think that's a great point. And then, you know, I just had this conversation um, a few a few days ago about Glassdoor, which for like HR, it's almost like this love-hate <laughs> relationship because any it's open source, right? Anybody can go and say anything about your company. So if you have a bad 
experience with somebody who is offboarding from your organization, uh, you have a bad recruiting experience for a candidate, people can find out, right? I always caution people, you know, before you go assume that Glassdoor is 100% correct, see how many people on there gave it a one star. Those are probably people who had a bad experience. Count those up because they'll skew the, the data. But then also go look and see how many interns filled out the uh, the, the ratings because I guarantee you somebody in in HR or some somewhere said, hey, welcome to so-and-so company. First step, go give us a great review on Glassdoor. That really, we'd really appreciate that. And gosh, it'd be great to get the word out there. <laughs> well, yeah. So we did some research into this. We, we survey an awful lot of companies. So we were able to company where we had surveyed everybody in the company, gotten their feedback on it, and then look at the Glassdoor responses to line those up, um, not <laughs> individually, but to try to understand statistically whether there was a significant skew in the data. And maybe not surprising to your audience, a uh, huge skew towards the disaffected, highly disengaged, and it really misrepresented the company. Um, now, as as you probably know, um, Glassdoor actually encourages companies to go and and um, and encourage, as you say, interns or or, or others to to post. So if you have a program that's actively posting and it becomes this um, a little bit of a social war between the trolls and the and the sort of actively trying to promote the positive sides of the culture, um, and then the employee who is reviewing that. Glassdoor data doesn't doesn't know what to believe, um, and that's one of the reasons we've put top workplaces out there as a research based approach that surveys a statistically meaningful set of the of employees of a company or all of them if it's a smaller company, and you don't have this bias in the data, uh, which ends up with um, uh, ends up providing a skewed version of it. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, that the, the companies that are actively uh, engaged in responding to Glassdoor might be the more accurate reviews. You said love-hate. I, I'm not sure how much love there is there out there for it, but it's 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 a um, – uh, I think if, if companies can find alternatives to Glassdoor to get their credible uh, branding information out there, certainly ours is one with, uh, with topworkplacesusa.com, great place to go and learn about um, how to get your employer brand out in a uh, fact-based and, and research-based way. Yeah, so that's really fascinating to me. Can we explore a little bit about what the top workplaces program is and, and how you leverage that to showcase an employer brand? Sure. So top workplaces started out um, as a, a region-based program when we when I founded the company 14 years ago, and we started with a single program in uh, Delaware. We expanded to 50 major metros across the United States, um, and just this past year launched Top Workplaces USA to cover uh, the best places to work across the country. Um, it is a free program to participate in, so uh, it, there's not a, a barrier in terms of cost to get in. Um, we survey a uh, all of your employees, if you're below a certain threshold, and a, a can survey a statistically um, significant portion if you're if you're above a certain size. And we run those that diagnostic I was we were discussing earlier, so measuring engagement and the drivers of culture to find out where you stand as a company, where your hotspots are, where your weaknesses are, but also where your strengths and areas to celebrate. 
and then we publish the top workplaces to um, to work for. And in the past, that's been more of a binary thing where we'd give out some special awards, but also mainly you were in or out. For 2021, we'll be expanding that to cover off uh, the best places to work for uh, women and, and women-led companies, for diversity, equity, and inclusion, for remote working, uh, best places for managers. So we're going to start to to, to really peel back the onion a little bit to give better insights into um, why individual places are great places to work, uh, but also, uh, you know, where are the very best places to work and the practices that they're, uh, uh, the, you know, the new practices that they're bringing into the workplace. That's free for an employer to participate in that survey? Yeah, it's free. It's topworkplacesusa.com. Um, you go there, you can nominate your company and, uh, there's no no cost to go through it. Uh, now, there is a charge for the detailed feedback if you uh, opt to come into that. So um, the, uh, that, that's certainly um, uh, how we stand business. But, uh, but we do offer the diagnostic and the, um, and the designation as a top workplace is, is free. That's interesting. And I'm just reflecting on my company when I first started. I didn't, there was no HR budget for anything like that you know it w- if i wanted to go to a survey I'd, i would have had to go fight you know every other department budget <laughs> to try to find the funds so could be a, a great way if you're in hr to uh, leverage some of that data driven results in order to to build a business case that maybe you do need to focus on some areas of your business and you need to prioritize some of these uh, what you described as squishy uh, costs that are really hard to quantify, but I think we can all agree that some of these intangible things are just as critical as cash flow and you know productivity metrics because the people are what make your business work. So if you don't treat them appropriately, then it's not going to work. We'll, we'll put the uh, the link in the show notes so that our listeners can find that. Yeah, thanks for that. I, and I would say that while I know your listeners believe that there's a tie between engagement culture and uh, and company performance, we've been able through our research into public companies to actually see that tie. And so uh, we we know that uh, that companies that are more highly engaged that have uh, cultures uh, of engagement outperform the stock market. Um, and so that is a as, as we turn into 2021, we live through this pandemic, we move on uh, past it. The, the notion that, that people uh, aren't your greatest asset, I think, is just going to get to be more and more antiquated. And so how do you measure? How do you manage? How do you, uh, how do you improve? Uh, and how do you stay relevant to, uh, to, to employees in, uh, in this, next, uh, this next coming decade? Yeah, absolutely. I love that line of thinking, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges for HR is to to articulate that to the right leaders and to their organization. And then I think one of the biggest challenges in HR is that, you know, you can say, well, people are our biggest priority, but we're going through a global recession period and we're having to, a lot of companies are having to cut benefits and freeze pay raises and things like that. So, what tactics are you seeing out there for companies that are trying to communicate that people are their priority, but having to make these really challenging 
business decisions? Couple of a uh, couple of thoughts. The the first one is that employers need to be listening, and that means more than a once a year survey. Um, they need to be listening through their management structures. Senior leaders need to be connecting with employees uh, directly through you know, Zoom calls if they need to, or or um, you know other mechanisms. They need to be using pulse surveys in smart ways to make sure that they're keeping a pulse on their employees. And they need to learn that the, the worst thing you can do is uh, stick your head in the sand or we call it FOBR, FOBR, fear of bad results. So say, well, I'm not going to ask because I just am afraid of the, the answer. Beyond that, and to your point around around some of the difficult challenges that businesses are facing, sometimes having to freeze benefits or cut pay or furlough workers or maybe even, uh, um, you know, have to do layoffs. It, it's Companies need to be transparent. Um, they need to, to close the loop with employees, um, but also ensure that they're keeping employees as their highest priority throughout the process. Even if they have to go through some of these difficult decisions. And so, one of our uh, top workplaces, a power home remodeling, had to do some furloughs because their business um, really stopped overnight. But they spent a lot of effort and a lot of senior leadership time engaging with the furloughed employees because they knew that when they came back, um, when they had the opportunity to come back, they wanted those employees to come back to power home remodeling group and not somewhere else. Um, they wanted to make sure that they felt a sense of connection to the company, even as uh, they weren't necessarily, you know, working day to day. So it's not a binary decision where you say, well, do we, you know, manage our business or take care of our people? It's both. How do we manage through the challenges? Um, and and in in the worst case, maybe have to go through furloughs or layoffs, um, but do our best to take care of um, our employees who remain, but also the ones who uh, have been furloughed or or maybe even have had to be let go. So. And and people remember that for a long time too. So so it's not just now. It's going to be, you know, as recovery comes through, companies employees are going to remember who took care of their people, who did their best that they could, that were transparent as as they could be, um, and then uh, that those companies are going to re- be ultimately rewarded by folks who want to stick around there and give their best and 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 refer others to work there. I love a good acronym, FOBER. Fear of bad results. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, there are cases where the person with their head in the sand and their hands over their ears is right. And so if if the plan is to run the employee engagement survey and then completely ignore the results, not feedback to the company, uh, not share that the voice of the employee is being heard – then you probably shouldn't do it. Now, the opposite end is if you treat the employee survey as a um, like a ticketing system and customer support where every single input is going to be addressed, uh, that way lies madness also. Uh, because you can't treat an employee survey as a customer support ticketing system where every single bit of uh, input is going to be addressed. You can't run your business that way. Um, and so the sweet spots in the middle, not surprisingly, and this is where asking employee opinions with a good employee survey that's uh, authentic, research-based, that's got a science base to it, that's got benchmarks associated with it, 
um, that is actionable, um, but is also going to allow you to take those actions in alignment with running your business and making sure that you're creating value uh, for your investors, for your customers, and your employees at the same time. Because um, if you if you treat those as as separate and and uh, um, uh, orthogonal, to use a rocket science uh, term from my past, you're going to fail. And so so you really want to make sure that you have alignment between those objectives. There are cases where you shouldn't run that survey, and that's not a great place to be where where you're actually better off with your head in your sand because your intentions aren't great. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's worse to, it's worse to ask the question and then do nothing about it than to just not ask at all. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. You ask the question and then they answer and you say, you know, actually I didn't care at all. <laughs> what you yeah, said. Thanks, thanks for that opinion, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Go back I don't to work. Remember what you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That doesn't work very well. No. I, when you were describing the other the other approach, like the ticketing system, all I could think about was it's like the DMV, where you go in and you take a ticket and you sit there and you know just wait and you're like number one seventy five and they're now serving five. You know <laughs> that that was my envisioning uh, of that description. So so not yeah. the DMV and not the head in the sand. Right, and and imagine if you went to the DMV and 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 you said um, in terms of an input or your, your employee survey, you had you know, 10 or 15 percent of your people who said, I think you should raise our pay by 20 percent. Most businesses can't afford to do that, and particularly now. Um, and so right. so that there's a um, setting expectations, there's understanding, you know, where you have leverage, where you can align the business with uh, where you're improving your workplace for employees and and just making sure that you um, set out with a plan that is going to be um, one that you can follow up on. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I have yet to meet somebody who, if you ask them, would would you like to make more money? They've said, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'll tell you, and this is interesting. Employees at top workplaces make that decision every day. And it's really the opposite of golden handcuffs. And so we know from our research that people will work, will take a little bit less money to work at a really great workplace. And it takes a lot more money to work at a terrible workplace because um, life is short. And, you know, if you're spending your time at a lousy workplace where your boss is yelling at you, you're not sure how your work is aligned with the work that you're doing. Uh, and then they're like, we really want you to stay. It's like, well, you're going to have to pony up for that. Um, and so people really do make that decision every day. Yeah, that's a great point. So to the senior executive who's well, probably not listening to this podcast, but the senior executive that does not want to do the survey and feels like this isn't a priority, uh, is that enough of a business case for you? Hey, you don't have to pay people as much for them to stick around. <laughs> you don't have to pay people as much to work at a great workplace as you do at a lousy one. Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest challenges is, and I mentioned earlier, I'm a big data guy, and it, but it's trying to draw the line between financial impact and people practices, good people practices. And for me, I look at it as these types of things, they're very proactive uh, versus a, a more transactional focus on the business. I just think as I reflect on the conversation, I think about these top workplaces, I feel like, and their employees probably articulate this, they just kind of get it. They get that, right? Is that, are you seeing that in your survey research? So it's a little bit like Maslow's hierarchy in that when you talk about people practices, 
there are some table stakes items like pay and benefits and training and work life flexibility that are all that are all important for recruiting and retaining employees. Um, but they only get you to a certain point. They're not the thing that makes the difference unless they're lousy. So, so you know, you need, they need to be good enough. Uh, those those uh, four I just mentioned, and then you start to move into uh, the areas that really do make the difference. So, uh, are people connected, aligned? Do they feel like they're being coached? Do they feel like they're performing? Uh, that's what gets people out of the bed on Monday morning and saying, "Wow, I'm looking forward to going to work," as opposed to, "Oh my God, I'm gonna." I dread going to work. It, it, it is not that, you know, certainly the benefits and the training uh, are, are, are foundational, but they are not the thing that makes the difference. And to your point around drawing a line between those, we've been doing a, a, some research, some pretty exciting research I mentioned earlier with the, the public companies to look at the drivers that align with public company performance. And uh, I, I think by the time this uh, podcast goes up, we uh, we should be announcing some of that. Uh, so uh, maybe you can put those in the, the notes as well. Uh, well, we are closing in on time here. So I want to make sure that uh, we, we put you through uh, a, a critical component of the podcast, which is our Rebel HR flash round. Okay. Um, so we're going to we're going to put you in the, the white hot spotlight here. And I'm, I'm really fascinated to hear uh, your responses here. This is the first that, time that we've had a rocket scientist on the podcast so former rocket scientist just to be clear <laughs> hey you know what you got the degree i think you can own that i, I just, <laughs> just keep that on linkedin it's that's compelling <laughs> all right so uh flash around question number one what are you reading right now an author i really like is cy wakeman uh, she wrote a book called no ego uh, just can't recommend that book strongly enough and i've read it and uh sometimes reread it. And so uh, that's one I would recommend. I am a huge Psy fan. Uh, I've seen her speak a couple times. I love that book. Uh, my first exposure was reality-based leadership. It, one of my managers gave that to me and I was I was hooked. So yeah, strongly recommend that. Love that. Uh, love that series. And, and the approach to the approach to the actual psychological principles that drive behavior. So if you're yeah. an HR person and you you just can't figure people out. Yeah, Sai and I have become friends and uh, just really uh, can't recommend her work enough. And uh, she's got podcasts and 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 her books, but the the No Ego is a great one. And as you mentioned, reality-based leadership is really good as well. Okay. So there's a lot of thought leaders out there, and a lot of times it's hard to separate the 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 noise from the from the content. So who should we be listening to? So we already mentioned Sai. I think if you get a chance to listen to Sai Wakeman, she's a great, um, great thought leader. Um, I, I really do like Adam Grant and feel that Adam uh, kind of cuts through the the, the noise and, and uh, has a very evidence-based and research-based approach is very approachable. And so would, uh, would, would recommend uh, Adam as well. Gosh, we're right on the same level here. So I love Adam Grant. Got to see him at a, a national SHRM conference in Chicago a few years ago. And the way that he describes things, it just made sense. And you could tell he, he's he's clearly a, a good, uh, I think he's a professor at Wharton, but great uh, descriptions of the things that we should be doing. Uh, yeah, I, I still I, use his interview tech. He, he gave us an interview technique on how to figure out uh, if somebody has integrity or not. I, I I've used it ever since. It's so great. I'm gonna share it with your audience real quick. Yeah. So the 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 uh, the tactic is 
to ask – instead of asking somebody, do you have integrity? Because they'll always answer yes. You ask somebody, what percentage of the employee population do you think steals from their employer? And the, the principle there is that the, the people that say the higher number are more predisposed to steal from their employer. So that's a measurement of, of integrity in an interview. <laughs> I do want to give a shout out to one other thought leader. Dan Ariely is the author of Predictably Irrational, um, written a number of behavioral psychology bestsellers since then. Um, he is working with uh, one of our partners called Irrational Capital and uh, helped to found that. And just a brilliant, brilliant uh, speaker, thinker, um, really comes at things from a different perspective. And if you get a chance to, to really see him uh, on CNBC or Wall Street Journal or one of those, just a great, uh, a great thought leader. Great content. All right. Last question in the flash round, and then I'll let you off the hook. How can our listeners connect with you and your organization? So best place is to come to topworkplaces.com and uh, register your company to go and uh, and learn about uh, about whether you're qualified as a top workplace, what aspects of your culture are great, and what aspects of your culture uh, might uh, might uh, benefit from some focus. And Doug, I understand that you are doing a webinar to inform some of your followers about some of the results. So yeah, uh, next. This Tuesday, October 13th at 2 p.m. Eastern time, I'm going to be interviewing Dan Ariely. It's a live uh, broadcast uh, webinar. And so would encourage folks to find out more by just coming to Entergage.com and, and you'll be able to see a link to the webinar right at the top of uh, Entergage.com. All right. And we will include that information in the show notes as well if anybody has any interest. I know I'm going to be curious to hear what the results tell us so dan is always entertaining so we'll be curious i'm curious <laughs> to see what he's going to say as well all right even better we like entertaining <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much Kyle. all right thank you again doug really appreciate it all right that does it for the rebel hr podcast big thank you to our guests follow us on facebook at rebel hr podcast twitter at rebel hr guy or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.